the rest of y'all ever feel like life can be just one long guilt trip? Sometimes, you know, we fall into this trap of, of feeling guilty for just anything and everything and nothing. Like, you go to Walmart sometimes, you know, and you just go buy three or four groceries and you spend $80 and you're checking out and you're going through the line and that sweet old lady that's, that's ringing up your bill, she looks at you and says, Honey, you want to donate your spare change to the Children's Miracle Network? Well, ma'am, I would, but I really need that 37 cents. And then you leave just feeling like trash, don't you? Some of y'all were raised by people, parents, and literally the only tool they had in their parenting toolbox was guilt, wasn't it? That's the only thing they knew, man, to keep you on the straight and narrow. Go ahead, go ahead and stay out after curfew, and I'll just die of a heart attack. All right, Mom, I'll see you in the morning. Some of y'all feel guilty now about the way you're raising your children. Everybody else, they're sending their kids to school with, you know, organic hummus or whatever, and your baby's eating Swiss cake rolls and Cool Ranch Doritos, and you feel guilty about it. We, we face guilt every... Hey, hey, God's moving in the sound booth up there today. Cool Ranch Doritos, brother, amen. We, we encounter guilt everywhere in life, don't we? Guilt, guilt is the reason we use paper straws now, you know? We just feel guilty about anything and everything. And do you ever wonder where that comes from? Do you ever wonder about yourself, like, why do I have this sense in me that I don't measure up or that no matter what I do, it's not good enough? Do you ever feel like no matter how hard you try, it's just not enough to take away that guilt? Some of you here today need to figure out why you feel so guilty because you do feel guilty about anything and everything all the time. And if you don't feel guilty about anything, you feel guilty because you don't feel guilty. Surely there's got to be some problem out there that's your fault. And you wonder, why do I feel that way? Maybe you even have real palatable guilt in your life connected to real specific memories and specific events. And you look back and you say, this is why I feel guilty. Because at this point in life, I did what I know was wrong. And you can't shake it. You can't get over the guilt of your past. Then, of course, I know that some of y'all, y'all don't feel guilty about anything. You think up to this point in life, you're just crushing it. You don't really ever stop to think that maybe you have guilt even if you don't feel it. Today, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where Jesus performs a miracle of healing a man's broken body. But as he heals this man's broken body, he touches on something that goes much, much deeper than just a physical problem. And he shows us that he has come not just to heal the brokenness in our bodies or the brokenness around us, the brokenness in our relationships, but he's come to heal the brokenness inside of us. And this passage of Scripture we're going to read today confronts us with two facts that are critical to the story of the Bible, two facts that are critical to the Christian message that you need to know today. The first one is that if you feel guilty, the reason you feel guilty is because you are guilty. And second, Jesus did not come to solve all of our problems. He came to deal with the guilt inside of us. He didn't just come to fix what's broken around you. Jesus came to fix primarily what's broken inside of you. I want to show you that in Matthew chapter 9, if you have your Bible, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 1. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read and honor the Word of God. If you're able, we'll read together Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 1. The Bible says that getting into a boat, 
he, that is Jesus, crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. And when the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. You can be seated. And I do hope the Lord speaks to you from this place this morning. When you read the Gospel of Matthew, the one idea that you are supposed to really be captivated by is the idea of Jesus' authority. That word actually appears several times in this passage of Scripture, and it's sprinkled all throughout the Gospel of Matthew. It's not a word that we use in connection with Jesus very, very much, but it is a word the Bible is certainly comfortable using as it relates to Jesus. Jesus has authority. Jesus preaches in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible says that when he's finished preaching, the dominant note that is struck in the hearts of the people who heard him is this man has authority, unlike anything that we've ever heard. At the very end of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus says that he has all authority in heaven and in earth. All authority has been given to him. And so here in the two chapters that we've been studying together on Sunday morning, Matthew chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 9, Matthew is highlighting specific stories from the life of Jesus to show us that there is no element of creation that is outside of Jesus' authority and power to control. And he's shown us Jesus heal the sick. He's shown us Jesus cast out demons. He even shows us in Matthew chapter 8 this incredible story where Jesus is on a boat in the middle of the night in a storm, and he speaks to that storm, peace be still, and the waves laid down at his feet like a whip puppy. Matthew says this man has a special kind of authority. But does Jesus' authority merely affect things around us? Or does it go deeper? This story, Matthew wants to use to show us that Jesus' authority goes deeper. So that this story, yes, is another miracle where Jesus performs another physical healing. But you get the idea, reading this, just on the surface, you can see that this is not just about what's happening to the man. It's about what's happening inside of the man. It's about the man's sin, not about his body. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at this passage of Scripture today from the perspective of those people who were there. And I want you to see all of the raw emotion that is working together in this passage if you're really paying attention and you see people who are shocked, people who are disappointed, people who are excited, people who are afraid, people who are stunned, and a man who is forgiven. And so I want to look at this story from the perspective of three different people who are here. And the first perspective that we get in this passage of Scripture is that of the man who experienced forgiveness. The man who experienced forgiveness, even though he really wasn't looking for it. The man who experienced forgiveness, even though he really wasn't looking for it. The Bible starts in verse number 1 where Jesus kind of retraces his steps back across the Sea of Galilee and he goes back to the city of Capernaum. While he's there, he's preaching. Some people bring a crippled man to him. Jesus forgives his sins, heals his body, and everybody kind of lives happily ever after. That's the story in a nutshell. And it's an amazing story. I mean, how can you tell the story of a miracle and it not be amazing, right? But what's amazing about the way Matthew tells this story is what he doesn't tell us. 
Because this story occurs in three of the four Gospels. It occurs in Matthew, it occurs in Mark chapter 2, and in Luke chapter 5. And in Mark and Luke, they paint really a, a much broader picture of everything that's happening. So let me fill you in on what Matthew leaves out. Jesus is actually preaching inside of a house, probably Simon Peter's house, but he's preaching inside of a house. And most homes in Jesus' day and in that part of the world, they were really, really small, really, really simple kind of one-room buildings. And so there's not tons of room, and so everybody's packed into the house, just standing right on top of each other to hear what Jesus has to say until there is no more room for anybody to come and hear. There are people hanging out of windows. There are people sitting in the yard. There are people everywhere just trying to strain to hear what Jesus has to say. And the Bible says that there are four men who have a crippled friend who hear that Jesus is back in town. And we don't know everything these men knew or believed or understood about Jesus, but they did know this. They knew their friend had a problem, and they knew Jesus was the only one who could help. So in their hearts they and in their minds, they kind of uh, conspire together to say, we are going to do whatever it takes to get our buddy to Jesus. So they put him on his bedroll, put him on his mat, and each guy gets a corner, and they pick him up, and off they go, carrying him to Jesus. We don't know how far they walked. Might have been miles. Might have walked for hours. But when they get to the house to where Jesus was, there's no room. There's no way they can get through to get to Jesus. So I can just see these guys huffing and puffing, you know, sweating and laboring like everybody that helped laid floor over here the past couple days, straining, complaining, griping. They put their buddy down and they say, okay, what are we going to do? We can't get to Jesus through the front door. We can't get to him through the back door. How are we going to get to him? And one of them comes up with an idea. He says, here's what we'll do. We'll lower him through the roof. See, most of the homes in Jesus' day, most of them had kind of a set of steps going up the side of the home to the roof, and the roof would be kind of these uh, hard clay tiles covered over sometimes with dirt and grass. They said, we'll just go up, carry him up the steps. We'll tear the roof off. We'll lower him down on top of Jesus. I wonder if the crippled guy got a vote on this. <laughs> we, don't, we don't know anything at all about what he's thinking. So I can, I can just imagine them saying, look, dude, it's going to be fine. If we drop you, we're going to drop you on Jesus, and he has to heal you. It's win-win for everybody. And the moral of the story really is, don't ever underestimate the stupidity of men working together in groups. That's the moral of the story. So I can just see, here's how it happens in my mind. I don't know if it's really like this or not, but I can just see Jesus is preaching in this home. And all these people are just right on top of him. And he's explaining the word and they're hanging on everything that he says. Some people are just being nourished by the preaching of Jesus. And some people are really scrutinizing everything that he says. And all of a sudden, these little clumps of dirt start to fall on top of him. And everybody, everybody looks up like, what in the world is happening up there? And then maybe a little sunlight starts to break through. And then one of them, you know, sticks his finger in the hole they made. And they start to tear it up. And then a head pops in looking down on them. And everybody says, what in the world? And then they lower this guy down to Jesus. And Jesus says to this man in response to the faith of his friends, son, your sins have been forgiven. And I want to look at that in just a moment. But before we do, I want to talk to you about these four guys. And I just want to say today, folks, thank God for people who realize that, they, that there's no risk too great. There's no burden too heavy. There's no cost too high when it comes to getting people who need Jesus to the Jesus that they need. Thank God for people who are willing to pray sacrificially, who are willing to give, who are willing to serve, who are willing to invite, who are willing to do every single thing within their power to get their friends and their family and their loved ones to Jesus. So, folks, we live very much in a world that is represented by this crippled man. We live in a world that is broken. 
And like these men, I hope you know the only hope for this world is Jesus. And the only hope that those people have of getting to him is you. Have you ever understood that you might be in somebody's life for the sole purpose of carrying them to Jesus? And these men said, there's nothing, nothing that would be asked of us that would be too much. But we're going to carry him to Jesus no matter how much it hurts us, no matter how much it strains us, no matter how much it embarrasses us. We're going to get him to Jesus. And I know some of you this morning have been praying for people for a long time. You've got a name written on a Hoosier One card out here in our lobby, and it's somebody, a spouse or a child or a grandchild that you've been praying for for a long time. But I just want to tell you from this text of Scripture, Jesus healed the crippled man in response to the faith of his friends. If you've been praying and you've been burdened and you've been brokenhearted for years or even decades, please know that Jesus sees your faith. He knows about that burden you carry. He knows about the heaviness of your heart. Keep praying. Keep working. Keep striving. Keep telling. Keep doing everything that you can to get them to Jesus. He knows. He knows. But here's the man. Lower down on top of Jesus. Jesus looks at him and he says to him, what had to have been an absolute disappointment, Son, your sins are forgiven. Think about it. His four friends knew what his problem was, right? Everybody that probably looked at his body knew what his problem was. He, more than anyone else, knew what his problem was. He did not come to Jesus for his sins. He came to Jesus for his legs. And yet Jesus does not address what he wanted without first addressing what he needed. Fascinating, isn't it? That Jesus says, listen, I've got to go deep into your heart before I can ever really help you. So why does Jesus do that? Well, there are a couple reasons. One, probably at this point in his ministry, obviously there's a big crowd of people around Jesus, and a lot of them really thought they could get some, some good stuff from Jesus. Jesus can heal my sicknesses. Jesus can fix my problems. Jesus can... Uh, there's one place in the Gospels where a man's parents have died and he's arguing with his brother about the will and about the inheritance. Jesus can arbitrate this estate and get me some money. Jesus can just solve it all, can he? And so there were people that wanted to come to Jesus, and that was their mindset. Jesus can help me. Jesus can help me. But Jesus wants them to know, and Jesus wants you to know, he did not come primarily to fix your problems. He came to forgive your sin. And if all Jesus does for us is fix our problems without ever forgiving our sins, he really hasn't helped us at all. He really has not helped us at all. And so I look at this passage of Scripture, and I think to myself, you know, I want Jesus to fix my problems. And that's the way we think, right? I've got these problems over here in this part of my life. I've got problems with my money. I've got problems with my marriage. I've got problems with my kids, my health, whatever. I want Jesus to fix that. And we're conditioned to think Jesus is going to be the solution to all of my problems. I remember back home where Amy and I are from for years, and it may still be there, right on the side of the interstate, there was a church, and their billboard said, Jesus is the answer to all your problems. And I think I knew what they meant, but I also know what a lot of people saw when they saw that billboard. Jesus can solve every single problem that I have. If I'll just follow him and use him, he will give me what I want. Friend, listen to me carefully today. Jesus does not want you to use him to get what your heart really longs for. He wants to become the one your heart really longs for. And that's why Jesus goes deep with this man first. But we've got problems, and we want Jesus to fix them. We don't really have problems like this guy had problems. Our problems are we go to Starbucks, and we order the soy milk caramel macchiato, and they give us the almond milk caramel latte. And then we get on a $700 iPhone and complain on Facebook about how terrible the service is. Those are the kinds of problems we have. We don't have problems like this crippled man had. 
But we do have problems, don't we? Some of you have problems in your marriage, real problems. That if they aren't solved, it's not going to work. Maybe it just didn't work. We've got problems with our kids. We've got problems with money. Our careers never take off and our life just does not go the path that we want it to go. We've got problems and we're conditioned to think Jesus is going to fix that. Some of you are here today because you know you think Jesus is going to fix my problems. I'll give him three or four Sundays in a row and Jesus is going to make it all come together. Jesus might fix your problems and he may not. That's not what he came to do. He came to forgive your sin. And so if Jesus, I'll just put it bluntly to you this way. If Jesus would have healed his legs and not fixed his heart, what good would that have done him? What good would it have done him to walk into hell? So Jesus addresses his heart first. That's what this man needed. You know why that man, this man needed that? Here's why. This man longed to be able to walk, probably more than anything else, right? For him, he thought, if I can just walk, I can have a normal life. I can not be carried around by these four idiots who are just taking me wherever they want me to go. If I can just walk, I could maybe pursue a relationship. I could meet a girl and go dancing. If I could just walk, I could provide for myself. If I could walk, then I could really have the life that I want. And if Jesus would have done that, that might have satisfied him and excited him for six months, a year, but eventually that would have worn off. You know how I know it would have worn off? Because almost every one of you today already have what that man longed for. You walked in here today on a fairly normal, functioning, healthy set of legs. And yet still in our hearts, we deal with guilt. We deal with doubt. We deal with frustration, wondering if we are good enough. There's still brokenness inside of us, even though we have everything that we should want. So Jesus goes deep into his heart first. There's the man who experienced forgiveness, even though he wasn't looking for it. He thought his problem was his legs. Jesus says, your problem is your sin. And I just want to say to you today, and I hope this is very, very clear that our problem scripturally is not, our problems really aren't our problems. Our problem is the problem inside of us in our broken relationship with God. And some of you have never understood that. You've never accepted that. You've never embraced that. You think your problems are other people or you think your problems are, are whatever is not going the way you want it to in life. Understand today, your problem is that you are a sinner who has rejected God and that you are condemned under his wrath, which is just and which is right. And I want to emphasize that today because nobody believes it anymore. Nobody believes they're sinners anymore, do they? Why do you think it's harder and harder to get people to come to church? Why is it that preaching seems so ineffective? Nobody's a sinner anymore. But friends, if you are here today and you're saying to yourself, you know, there's really no sin, there's no problem like that in my heart. The Bible says that you are deceiving yourself. And you're lying to yourself. We are all sinners who are guilty with a broken relationship with God. That's why when Jesus addressed this man, he addressed him as his son. He said, the problem here is a relationship that needs to be restored. So there's the man who experienced forgiveness and really wasn't looking for it. But the Bible also talks to us about the men who examined forgiveness but didn't receive it. They examined forgiveness. Jesus says that he can forgive the man. And then the Bible talks about the scribes who say, you can't say that. Every party has a pooper, doesn't it? You know, Jesus can't do anything without somebody griping, without hyper-religious people who are more spiritual than God saying, nope. God, you ain't allowed to do that. 
The Bible says that they accused Jesus of blasphemy. That is, they accused Jesus of doing something to disrespect or dishonor or defame God. And they would know. They're scribes. They are experts in the Bible. These are people who had memorized most of, if not all, of the entire New Old Testament. And we can't even spell Deuteronomy. And these people knew it, all of it. They would know. So why do they accuse Jesus of blasphemy here? Let me try to explain it to you this way. Let's say that you come up to me after church and you say, Brother Jesse, I am in a, in a tight spot. I, I don't have any other options. There's no, nowhere else I can turn. I need to borrow your car. Not going to happen, but let's just say in this fictional, made-up Pastor Jesse, I say, oh, yeah, sure, you can borrow my car. And so you take my car to go do whatever it is that you've got to get done this afternoon, and you're doing 70 miles an hour down Interstate 65, and you're taking selfies of yourself, and uh, you're putting it on, on Snapchat and, you know, hashtag squad goals and all this stuff, and you run right into an orange construction barrel in my car, and you do $5,000 worth of damage to my car. And you come back to me tonight at church because I know you're all going to be at church tonight. That's smooth, wasn't it? And you come back to me at church tonight and you say, Brother Jesse, and you're just sobbing and crying and blubbering. Everywhere. Oh, I'm so sorry. It was an accident. It never happened again. Please, please, please forgive me. Please, I want to make it right. Please, uh, please forgive me. And you just go on and on with your sob story. And then Ricky King comes up and says, hey, don't worry about it. It's forgiven. Does he have the right to do that? No, because it ain't his car. It's my car. When Jesus says to this man, your sins are forgiven, what he is saying is, I am the God you sinned against. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they understood that. In fact, Mark says that in Mark chapter 2 and verse number 7. They, they're thinking in their minds, why does this man speak like that? Who's blasphemy? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's the point. Jesus is here talking to this man saying, I am both the God that you've sinned against and the God who will forgive you of the sin that is against me. Did you realize today that the primary problem with our sin is that our sin is against God? Does our sin ruin our lives? You better believe it. Does our sin disrupt our relationships? Absolutely. But the primary problem with our sin is that it is against God. And that's why we need God alone to forgive it. In fact, there's a story in the Bible many of you are familiar with, the story of David and Bathsheba. David's a king, loves the Lord, is doing great things. But then he falls in, uh, well, he falls in lust with this woman named Bathsheba who's married, David's married, and has an affair with her. He gets Bathsheba pregnant, and then to cover it up, he has her husband killed and marries her in secret. And God forgave him. Thank the Lord he did. But when David repented and when he wrote down his prayer of repentance in Psalm chapter 51 and verse number 4, he said to the Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. He said, I have sinned against you and done what is evil in your sight. David said, the primary problem is not this woman that I dishonored or this man that I conspired to have murdered. The problem is that I have sinned against God. David, you have sinned against everybody. I mean, I don't even trust David anymore. And yet he says, my problem is a Godward problem. That our sin is really just the result of our hearts that are out of sync with God. So think about today how you understand sin. And think about just the cold, hard facts of this man's physical condition. This man is most likely quadriplegic. He's certainly paralyzed. He's largely immobile. He has to rely on other people to take him from point A to point B, even to take him to Jesus. 
the way that most of us think about sin, there's not a lot this guy can get into, is there? What's he going to do? And yet Jesus says, even though your body may not be committing these heinous acts, your sin in your heart is still against God. And we don't know, we don't know what that means. We don't know what that looked like in this man's life, but there's something in his mind, there's something in his heart that is not right with God. As I heard one person explain it to me just the other day, he's not right with the one who gave him life. And Jesus says, I'm the one who gave you life, and I can give you new life. And friends, this is the amazing and incredible thing about the nature of the gospel that the God all of us have rejected has said to us in Jesus, I will not leave you helpless in your sins. I'm not going to leave you lying there wallowing in your guilt, but I have come to forgive. The God that we have rejected has said, I will not give up on you. The God that all of us have walked away from says to us in Christ, I will not walk away from you. The God that we have sinned against says, I am exactly the one who is eager to forgive. And Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. I hope you understand today that's exactly what the gospel message is all about. That the God we have sinned against took upon himself the responsibility of forgiveness and said, I will offer you forgiveness. The God that we've rejected, the God that we walked away from, the God that most of us at times would rather live without, that God says, I will be the one to forgive you. It's incredible. So there's the men who examined forgiveness, scrutinized it, and didn't get it. And there's the man who experienced it but wasn't looking for it. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk today as we finish up about the man who explains forgiveness and will pay for it. The Bible says in verse number 3, that the scribes are saying to themselves, and really, that's not so much that they're having a conversation as they're thinking in their minds. They're saying in their own minds. Any of y'all ever talk to yourself? Me too. I just, just give you some advice. Only do that in private. They're talking to themselves. And Jesus, think about this, he interrupts a conversation they're not having. And he says, why are you thinking this evil in your minds? You're accusing me of blasphemy right now in your thoughts, but you are defaming God by defaming me. And then Jesus kind of responds to their questions with a riddle in verse 5. It looks really, really simple on the surface, but it's one of those things that, that the more you chew it, the bigger, you get, the bigger it gets. He says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. Well, let's try and line, unravel this. Which is easier to say? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? On the one hand, it seems easier to say your sins are forgiven. Because I can just say to you, hey, your sins are forgiven. And nobody else can see that, can they? It's not something you can verify. It's not something that you can measure. It's not something that any of us could somehow really know. But if you come in here and you're you know, paralyzed like this man is, and I said, rise up and walk, and nothing happens, then you know I was a fake, right? So really, it seems easier to say, hey, your sins are forgiven. That's easy to say. But let's think about it just a little bit deeper for a second. What's really easier for Jesus to say? Your sins are forgiven. Arise up and walk. What did it cost Jesus 
to say to this man, rise up and walk. Didn't really cost him anything, did it? What did it cost Jesus to say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven? It cost him everything. It cost him everything. Here's why. Let's go back to, let's go back to, to my car that you selfishly totaled, wrecked. $5,000 worth of damage. Shame on you. And you come to me and you say, look, I'm sorry. I, I made a mistake. I was stupid. And I say, yeah, I know you were, but I forgive you. I forgive you. You say, no, you don't understand. I, I can't pay to fix this. I don't have $5,000. I say, it's, it's forgiven. If I say that to you, if I release you from that burden of guilt and that burden of debt, has my car been fixed? No. If there's $5,000 worth of damage to my car that's going to be fixed and you're not going to pay for it, who's going to pay for it? I'm going to pay for it. Forgiveness means that I would absorb the cost of your decision. I would pay the cost of your mistake. I would take on my shoulders the responsibility of your guilt. For Jesus to forgive us, he takes on his shoulders the responsibility of our guilt. He takes upon his body the price for our forgiveness. And he says to us, I will forgive you by paying everything that you owed. And so he says to the crippled man and to the crowd, so that all of y'all will know that I really can forgive sins. Son, get up and walk. So that you will know that I can do what can't be seen. So that I can do what can't always be felt. So that you will know that Jesus alone has the power to forgive sins. Let me show you that I have the power to heal a broken body. And see in that broken body the Son of God in power who has the authority to forgive our sins. And I love, man, I love, this, I love this story so much. And it got so big in my heart this week for a couple reasons. One is because Jesus forgives this man while he's still crippled. He can't do anything to earn his forgiveness. He can't do anything but lay there. He's helpless. He needs other people to help him. He needs other people to carry him. He can't contribute anything. And some of you are so wrapped up in your guilt, you think, if I could just do something to make this go away, if I could just do better in the future to erase what's behind me in the past, listen, you can't do anything to earn your forgiveness. But Jesus does not ask you to perform he does not say to this crippled man, now you get up and give me a couple steps, then I'll help you along the rest of the way. He said, son, rise up and walk. When you can't do anything for me to be forgiven, I forgive you. You can't do anything to make yourself feel better. You can't do anything to take away the burden of your guilt. But thank God you don't have to. And something else about this story that stands out to me that I never really had noticed. When the man is healed, when everybody sees that, they celebrate. Now the Bible says they're afraid, but they're also excited. Because they've seen God in their midst do the impossible. But they don't have that reaction when Jesus says he's forgiven at first, do they? That interests me because a lot of us, we want to see something flashy. We want to feel something incredible. And because we don't feel that, we don't feel forgiven. Because we don't feel better. Listen to me now. Because we don't feel better, we don't feel forgiven. Jesus said this man was forgiven in verse number 2. Before he could walk, Jesus spoke the word of forgiveness over him. And I want you to hear me today. If you have put your faith in Christ your Savior, if you have stopped resting in your self-righteousness and your goodness and your works, 
and you have turned from your sin and you have come to Christ and said, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. It does not matter today how you feel. It does not matter the guilt that you still may weigh on you. If Jesus has said you are forgiven, it's settled. It's done. It's over. The past has been wiped away. The debt has been cleared. The guilt is gone. So I know some of you struggle with that today because you keep blowing it and you keep sinning and you keep feeling the weight of your guilt pressing on you. Don't worry about the weight of your guilt. Worry about the word of Christ that says there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. If Jesus says it, it's over. It's done. He was forgiven in verse number 2 as if he had never sinned, as if he was as good and as perfect as Christ himself. And that's true for you today too. And so Jesus says, we wrap up, son, so that everybody will know, so that everybody will know that I can forgive like this. Go home. Take up your bed and walk. Oh, man, I don't know how that happened, but you know this guy did some cartwheels out of there, didn't he? He didn't just walk home. He probably strutted home, busted in the door, and his mom and dad or whoever might have been there said, what in the world? I'm sure he had to tell them all about Jesus. And the people are shocked and the people are stunned. Jesus is is really showing us in this story simply that this miracle, miracles like this, they prove he can touch the brokenness in our hearts. They prove that he is God who has come to do the impossible. And this is what the Bible predicted that Jesus would do when he came. Isaiah chapter number 35, we can get that verse on the screen. I want you to see this. Isaiah 35, 4 through 6 says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then what, ha- what happens when God comes to save? Look what happens. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then notice verse 6. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. God said to the prophet Isaiah 700 years before Matthew chapter 9, when I come to visit to save, just, just know that those crippled people, they're going to get up and, and jump like deer. Jesus is saying to them, I am the God who has come to save. I am the God who has come to save. And so he has, as the people understand, he has authority over sin. They're shocked. How could God give the authority to forgive sin to a man? The answer is that God became a man. That's what the Bible is all about. But it points to this one really, really Vital detail that I want all of you to hear today. And that is, if Jesus has authority over our sins, then Jesus himself is the terminus for all of our guilt. What I mean is that our sin, our guilt, the things that we have done that have rejected and neglected or ignored God, all of those things that we regret, it all comes to an end at Jesus' feet eventually. It all stops at his feet. Either... He speaks in authority the word of forgiveness over us as we come in repentance and find salvation. Or Jesus in authority speaks the word of judgment and says, depart from me. I never knew you. To put it in the terms of this story, he either welcomes us the way he welcomed a crippled man like sons and daughters. Or he rejects us and says, I have no relationship with you eternally. Your sin today for all of you, for every person that's ever lived your sin reaches its final conclusion at the feet of Jesus, either in forgiveness or in judgment, because he is the God that you've sinned against. 
And he is the God who can forgive you if you will come to him. So some of you need to do that today. You need to do that today. You just need to come to Jesus and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I need you to forgive me. Take my guilt. I understand that you died on a cross for my sin. And Lord, I want that to be the final word about my past. I want that to be the final word about who I am. And I want to receive your forgiveness. Others of you are here today and you know that maybe long ago in your life you did that. But you don't feel it this morning. You just don't feel it. You need to come to him today and say, Lord, I trust you to forgive me. The only hope I have is your grace. And Lord, I may never feel it, but give me faith to know it and faith to believe it when I blow it, when I fail, when I sin, when I'm filled with doubt, when I'm filled with questions about myself, wondering why I don't measure up. I pray that your word that assures my forgiveness would be louder than any other question. Maybe you're here today like these four men and you've got somebody on your heart. I hope you've got somebody on your heart that you really want to see Jesus change their life. I say, if they need Jesus, church, let's tear down everything that stands in the way. Let's blow it all up if we can get them to Jesus. Maybe, I hadn't touched on this, but I just feel like I need to say it. Maybe you're like this crippled man. And life, maybe just life lately, has not dealt you the hand that you wanted. Nobody would ever sign up for this, would they? And yet this miracle becomes a platform for Jesus to reveal himself in a new and incredible way. Maybe it would be good for you to bring that to him and say, Lord, I know I'm forgiven. But God, would you use all of this stuff in my life that I hate, that I never would have chosen, Lord, would you use that to make yourself known? And guess what? He can turn that into a miracle in your life where he shows himself to people in an incredible way. Can we stand together today? I want to pray for you. And then we're going to sing this great song. Jesus paid it all. I pray you believe it. I hope you come receive it. Let me pray for you now. Father, Lord, we carry with us a guilt inside that is far more debilitating than any kind of physical ailment, even more debilitating than this man's paralysis. Lord, we don't always feel our guilt, but God, it's always there. And there are some that are here today, they may be believers, they may not be, but they're feeling their guilt, especially hard this morning. Lord, the hope for all of us is in the gospel. The hope for all of us is in the great truth that you paid it all. Lord, I pray that some would come to you today and say, Lord, you paid it all, so I owe everything to you. And Lord, I know there are some that really do have serious problems. And it seems like you're not going to fix them. You're not going to solve them. God, if that's your will, I pray you would use them. Use them, Lord, for your glory. Work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.